welcome to the Slowing Down for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and each week I'll bring you a new episode tailored to helping you with your walk with Christ. My hope is that these episodes will strengthen you and they will help remind you that Jesus loves you right where you are and you are perfect in every way. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of the Slowing Down for Christ podcast. As promised, um, this week starts part one of my testimony. I believe it's going to be either a three or four part series, but this week I'm kind of going to focus on the early childhood into high school part of my testimony. So um, in order to start my story, I think it's very important that you guys know that um, I did not have a, my, my dad, my biological father was not present in my life. He was constantly in and out of my life. He was a drug addict. He was mentally and physically abusive. Um, he was in and out of prison. He just was not consistent. And that kind of sets the tone for the, um, the way that I, the way that I viewed myself, um, as a teenager, as, um, someone who just, I didn't see any value in myself. Um, my dad, uh, when, when I was born, I was born down in Florida and my dad used to beat my mom. Um, I, my sister has told me stories of, um, how she had to hide my brother and I in a closet. And this was when I was a baby, but she had to hide my brother and I in a closet to be able to go get help from the neighbors because my dad was beating my mom so badly. And thankfully I don't remember any of that because we, um, we moved home back to Ohio when I was three years old. And thankfully we had, um, very, very loving and caring, um, grandparents. So my mom's grand, my mom's mom and dad, um, we moved in with them. I must've been three years old when that happened. I don't remember moving to Ohio. I don't remember any of that. I just know that I had a very, um, very good set of grandparents who instilled the love of the Lord in my heart. And I think it's because of them today that I have become the person that I am. Um, I, I have a couple of core memories with my dad, not very many, but, um, anyways, um, I think a majority of, um, a majority of the mental abuse that really set the, set, set the tone for what happened to me was, when my, I think when I was five years old, my, my mom married, um, married my stepdad and his name was Mike. And we, we lived in a farmhouse, a really old farmhouse. And, um, when, when my mom first met him, I must've thought that he, he was my dad, but I knew deep down that he wasn't my dad. I don't think I really knew who my actual dad was. Um, but my mom, she told me a story how, um, when things were going really, really good with him, I must've asked her if I was allowed to call him dad. And of course she gave him permission, but, or gave me permission. But as time progressed, the abuse began to happen and the fighting began to happen. And it was just, it was a vicious cycle. Um, I remember going down into, um, the dining room one day and my, my stepdad and my mom were 
standing around the dining room table and they were arguing, like they were actually rotating in a circle, arguing. And I walked into another room and I sat down and just put my head between my knees and started crying and asked them, will you please just stop fighting? I don't remember all the fights prior to that, but when you're a kid and you kind of get to that point, you must just be really tired of listening to the people around you argue. And as soon as that, as soon as I said that, I remember my mom saying, do you see what you're doing? Like, do you see what you're doing to her right now? And my stepdad jumped in and said, how is this my fault? This, this is all your fault. It's all a blur after that. I remember, um, we moved into an apartment complex, um, I think, you know, when you're that little and traumatic things happen, like you just subconsciously block those things out because I don't remember moving out of that farmhouse. I don't remember moving into, um, the apartment complex that we lived in. I know that I had a great childhood in the apartment complex that we lived in, but from about the age of, I don't know, five to seven years old, we, we lived in this apartment complex. I think my mom was married to my stepdad for maybe a year or so. Um, but when I was seven years old, um, and forgive me if I'm kind of jumping back and forth, I'm trying to remember these things as I'm going. But when I was seven years old, I remember being on my babysitter's front porch and thank, thank goodness. My babysitter was a very firm follower in Christ as well. So she had a lot to do with me asking Jesus into my heart, but I was on her front porch and I just remember getting down onto my knees and bowing my head on her banister and just asking Jesus into my heart. And I didn't realize how, how amazing that was for a seven-year-old to, to know how to ask Jesus into their heart. Now, I was raised in a church, um, a non-denominational church, but that's, that's just so amazing to me that as a seven-year-old, I asked Jesus into my heart. And um, I think it was shortly after that, um, might've been right around the same time. My mom had divorced my stepdad. Um, she was obviously divorced from my biological dad, but, um, it was shortly after that, that my, my stepdad, um, George, um, they, they never got married. Um, but he came into my life and he has just always been so loving and accepting of me. He has treated me like his own daughter since day one. And, Um, he came into my life and he has been, he has been such a strong influence, like father figure. If it weren't for him, I genuinely have no idea where I would be today. Um, but he came into my life and he plays a huge role in my childhood, my teenage years growing up into who I am today. But seven years old, I got baptized or I'm sorry, um, seven years old, I asked Jesus into my heart and at 10 years old, I did get baptized. I don't think I understood at 10 years old what I was doing, but I remember um, one night, this was after I decided to get baptized, I had had the meeting with my pastor, um, and I just remember one night I was writing down um, the message that I was going to to say when I was up um, in the pool. And I just kind of gave a story of, you know, I was seven years old and was baptized or asked Jesus into my 
heart on my baby's first front porch. But I remember this feeling coming over me and I didn't understand why, but the feeling was, was somebody saying, you don't want to do this. You don't want to get baptized. And so I remember going down to my mom in the kitchen and I told her, I'm like, mom, I really don't think I actually want to do this. And I was, I was scared. And she goes, you know, who's telling you that? Right. And I said, I have no idea. I didn't understand the concept of how there's, there's Jesus, there's God, the Holy Spirit, and then there's the enemy. And I'm not even going to give him the, the power over this podcast episode. I'm not even going to call him by his name. He's just the enemy. Um, but she told me it was the enemy or show me who it was. And I just said, Oh, so I did follow through and I was baptized. And unfortunately, a couple of years later, um, my, my biological father, his name was Dave. Um, he died, he died. We found out two days after Christmas. I remember this so clearly because, um, I had tried so many times. He was living in Arizona at the time. He finally had a house. Like he was getting some stability. I don't think he was on the drugs anymore, but, um, he was taking a prescription painkiller due to a back surgery. And, um, I called him so many times and I could not figure out why he would not answer his phone because we talked back and forth on the phone for quite a while. And I finally felt like I was forming a relationship with him. Um, I remember begging my mom constantly, like, just get me on a plane and send me down there. I just want to go see dad. And I didn't understand at the time why she wouldn't let me. But now as an adult, I do understand. But, um, I remember two days after Christmas, my aunt Louise called and I didn't, I couldn't tell who she was. Like, she just didn't sound like herself, but she said, is, is, is your mom home? I'm like, yes. So I put my mom on the phone and I remember my mom walking outside and just standing by her car. And I was incredibly curious because I could see this look of concern over her face. But anytime I tried to go out there to, you know, stand by her and eavesdrop on the phone call, she would shush me away. And, um, finally she came back inside after what felt like an eternity and she stood there in front of me and she said, Jamie, I have some news to tell you. And I said, okay, granted, like, remember I'm 12 years old at this time. So I kind of understand what's cognitively going on, but I don't at the same time. And she said, your dad died. And I just remember standing there and staring at her and I'm like, oh, okay. And I remember walking upstairs and I just started crying. And I remember my, my sister and brother, like it was the longest, it just felt like the longest day ever. And you know, we all ended up, we were in my brother's room and we all got together and we were just crying and kind of reminiscing on certain things. I was listening to the stories they were telling me about him. Um, but it was between the ages of like 12 and 15 was really just kind of a blur. And I was very confused. I, I didn't really I genuinely don't really remember much of it other than my mom finally got us out of this apartment complex. She moved us into the house that really triggered a lot of 
my teenage years. Um, but from 12 to 15, like I said, it's kind of a blur, but when we finally moved into the house that formed my teenage years, um, I, I definitely got involved in the wrong crowd. Um, I don't know how I formed the reputation that I did. I ended up going to a private Christian school because, um, so many of the, the kids that were my age in the area before I even got into middle school, they wanted, people wanted to fight me. I didn't even know them. And a lot of people wanted to fight me. I had formed a reputation, um, and people just didn't like me. So I remember begging my mom, begging and pleading with her to send me to a private Christian school because I was terrified to face these kids in middle school. And she was able to, um, by the, by the grace of God, um, she was able to put me in a private Christian school. And, um, unfortunately some of the kids in my neighborhood, I got involved with them. Like they were, they were good kids. But when I turned 15 years old, one of my childhood best friends, and to this day, she is my absolute best friend. Um, I love her dearly, but I got involved in the wrong crowd. And, um, my friend was, was dating someone much, much older than her, a guy that had no business preying on my friend who at that time was 14 years old. He was over 20 years old. And, um, you know, at that time I, I didn't understand the path that I was about to go down because I hadn't quite processed the fact that, you know, I was going to be growing up without my biological father. And I remember her, her and her boyfriend being up at her mom's house one day. And I knew who he was. Like I knew all about him. He worked at Hot Topic. Like I just, I just thought he was the coolest guy ever. I, I, the signs should have been more obvious to me. Um, the red flags and everything, because I was starting to become very intrigued by, by demonic, um, entities. I was becoming very intrigued by, um, the enemy, just everything about it was just becoming more fascinating to me. And, um, this genuinely was part of, um, part of what would become my testimony today. It's just, it's who I am. And I fully want to be an advocate for, for teenagers who, who are going down this path. Like I have been down this path. I know what you're feeling and there is hope at the end of this tunnel. There is a light, but you got to fight through it. And I remember one day being up at his house and I saw, if you remember, um, the wristbands, like the, the fabric wristbands that all these, the emo kids used to wear. Um, I was definitely part of that scene phase. I was so fascinated by the scene phase, like the screamo music, all of that stuff. But I asked him like, why do you wear those on your wrists all the time? And he took them off and he had, um, marks on his wrist because he was cutting himself. And, oh my gosh, if I could just go back to that day and just to my gosh, I am, granted, I know it was a lesson I had to learn, but if somebody could have just grabbed me and said, you don't want to do this, this is going to open up a, a dark portal in your life 
that you are going to have to fight so hard to close. But once he showed those to me, he, and I asked him about them. I was very intrigued. Um, he told me that, you know, it, it helps channel out the pain that's inside of him. It helps him put his pain on a different area of his body, helps him focus somewhere else on his body. And I said, oh, well, I want to try it. And he gave me his pocket knife and he educated me on how to cut myself without trying to kill myself. So that is where the cutting began, the self-harm. Um, I began drinking. I was partying at 15 years old. I started drinking, cutting, partying. And unfortunately, I started dabbling in witchcraft. I had no idea how lost I was, how hurt I was. I wanted to fit in. People didn't like me. I didn't like myself. I didn't respect myself. And unfortunately, at 15 years old, I lost my virginity to someone who didn't, didn't love me. Um, he was very controlling and it was, it was just an all around bad situation because that set the tone for 15 years old up until 21 years old. Um, and at 21 years old, that's part two of my testimony, um, high school and up to 21 is part two of my testimony, but that set, that really set the tone for, for a lot of the things that I went through. But I firmly believe that the cutting and the drinking and the partying and practicing witchcraft opened up a portal that I didn't know how to close up until probably this summer, this past summer. So it was, it was a portal that was open for over 15 years. And when I tell you I was practicing witchcraft, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit because I need to stress it upon anybody who has ever done this how dangerous it is because I was playing with Ouija boards. I was forming salt circles. I was trying to summon demons. I, long story short, I was craving wanting to talk to my dad. I wanted closure and I didn't know how to get it. And I thought dabbling into witchcraft would give me the closure that I was so desperately seeking. Um, I remember after we started playing with the Ouija board, um, my, my best friend, she had left a guy that um, got me into cutting. The cutting did not stop for quite a while. It actually progressed and it was, it was bad. And it, it followed me through part of um, being in high school. And we were at my friend's house, uh, my friend's boyfriend's house one night and we were playing with the Ouija board and her and I were just like, you know what? We want to see just how good this thing actually works. My friend's boyfriend had a drum set upstairs and we're playing with it. It's, you know, it's, it's late. It's in the middle of the night. And we had started the, started the process of getting the Ouija board going. You know, it was actually, it, it was working 110%. Those things do work. And we said, if there's somebody here with us, the drums upstairs and her and I sat there for a moment and all of a sudden we started hearing the drums and we're like there's no way this is actually working there's no way so we 
we thought, you know what? We want to see if this is actually true. So we said, if you are really here with us, we want to hear you walk down the steps. Got really quiet. And all of a sudden we hear somebody walking down the stairs. And obviously we started getting really scared at that point. So we put the Ouija board on end. We closed it up. Um, obviously we were done for that night. But also what I have not touched base on is that I grew up watching a lot of horror movies like Stephen King movies. Um, I watched it. I watched Rose Red. A lot of movies um, that a child should never watch. I am a firm believer that when you watch horror films or anything like that, your eyes are a portal as well. So, um, between the portal of horror movies, the Ouija boards, the cutting, the drinking, the partying, trying to summon things, forming salt circles, being obsessed with the demonic realm, I went down a very, very dark path and, um, it led into high school, which is where I'm going to, to stop this episode, um, because my high school up until when I was 21, um, is a very, very large portion of my testimony. And I definitely want to make sure that you guys get a good, um, look into what I dealt with as a teenager. But long story short, as a parent, I urge you to be very diligent on the things that your children take in the people that they hang around. Um, what they watch, what they hear, uh, the enemy is no longer hiding. He is out in plain sight and he is preying on our children because so many of us have our guards down. We don't understand the severity of what we are doing. We don't understand the severity of the LGBT, LGBTQ plus movement. We don't understand the severity of the the sex changes that our children are going through, forcing sex changes on kids, like all of that, whether you choose to believe it or not, is demonic. That is Satan. That that is the enemy. I almost said his name. I almost gave him. I almost gave him some authority. That is the enemy, preying on on humanity today, and this stuff is in the end times. Like this is all part of the end times. I can't stress it upon you enough that the the path to heaven is so narrow. It is one thing to say you're a Christian. It is another thing to be a Christian and to to crave being more Christ-like and to allowing God to do the open heart surgery on you, to let you be sanctified, to exposing the areas of your life that you need to work on, to humbling yourself, to being more like Christ. I can't stress it upon you enough to be mindful, be watchful, and be so careful as to what your children are taking in from a young age up until they're a teenager even, and so on and so forth. Be a light in such a dark world. Don't give up on them, even when you feel like they're probably about to join a cult because, my gosh, I'm surprised I didn't join one when I was a teenager. (laughs) Um, But guys, just pray for your kids, pray over your children, and don't give up on them because 
you, when, when you teach your children from a young age to follow in God's, to follow God's path, even if it looks like they're not going to stay on it at that, at the time, because of the social, because of the peer pressure that's around them, they will come back. I promise you they will come back. So just keep praying for them. Pray over them. Talk them about God openly. Don't hide things from them. And just, just love them the way that you wanted to be loved when you were a child. And God bless you all. I can't wait for you to hear part two. Thank you so much for listening to part one. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Have a good week, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find me on Instagram at Slowing Down for Christ Podcast. I would also be so honored if you left me a review that would be featured on my Instagram page or on Spotify. Join me next week as we dive deeper into learning how to strengthen our walk with Christ. I hope you have a great week. Thank you.